Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Met a ghost of a king on the road when I first fell. Fire burning to my knees, to my knees I fell. Met a ghost of a king on the road. Hey, welcome to SAS <laughs> episode 94. Yeah. We're going to make sure that first clip goes away. Yeah. <laughs> That was not us. Don't worry. Best. It or, had it had nothing to do with anything SASP. Oh yeah. It was just we were just game planning. We're just enjoying the holiday. Uh yeah. And also when Brian and I sit down, we chat about all sorts of things. Sometimes there's microphones in front of us when the conversation should not be recorded. Have you ever heard of a hot mic? A hot mic. <laughs> <laughs> Registered trademark. Yeah, just beep boop, beep boop. Mic is hot. Yeah. Uh, Couple random questions. People really want to know if you've ever watched Hamilton. <sighs> uh, no, I have not. Um, what are your thoughts? My, my kids based have, on it. Uh, three of my kids have seen it in New York. Um, oh wow! And really enjoyed it. Okay, they were. I mean, it's it's funny, but one of the things that struck them uh, remarkably uh, is that the wokeness the like the fever pitch of the woke revolution has moved so quickly a mm -hmm. la the french revolution mm -hmm. that hamilton has run long enough now that hamilton looks really conservative and like oh yeah non-woke yeah you know it's this appreciation of the founding fathers in a very odd way um then it's like okay so yeah it's this pretty awesome piece of art by all reports and mm -hmm. wouldn't really stand up to current fever pitch woke tests. Mm. You know, it's like that it's actually at the time it was like, Oh wow, we did the founding fathers all as African-Americans. It's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. That's interesting. I find that interesting. And we're going to do this new flavor on it all. But then that was this cutting edge thing. And then now you're, we've cut much further. Yeah. Now we have, uh, you know, this African-American actor playing George Washington, slave owner, <laughs> you know, it's oh, like, yeah. and being uh, respectful and like actually honoring guys who were flawed. Like there are guys who they, yeah, they were flawed, but they also were the founders of our nation. And so mm -hmm. basically my kids came away saying it's hilarious. They really, they really enjoyed it. They mm -hmm. enjoyed the experience of it. Um, and the, you know, the novelty and the twist and everything, everything yeah, I mean, else that was going on. Yeah. But they, so they really enjoyed it universally, my three oldest, and they also were struck by how politically dated it was. Yeah. Even though it's still relatively young, it's it's already Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good description. Yeah. Uh, and then- So sorry, I can't say more than that. No, that's fine. But, yeah. The The second question, we talked, we've talked a lot about, hey, when when you should write fiction and i thought we should apply it perhaps to the conversation on teaching kids about you know I, i've seen tons of book pitches recently about teaching kids about gender and sexuality right right and almost always people have used fiction as that tool so the books that i've seen are all books that are fictional or illustrated kids picture books with a slight story trying to teach a kid about sexuality like how god made you and and i was wondering if we could apply some of those lessons to those kids books 
you know, are they, you know, obviously you, I'm not yeah. talking about a specific, specific one right now, but it does seem to me that they're using the wrong tool for, yeah. te for teaching about gender and sexuality. Yep. I mean, I, I usually feel that way when they're using the wrong tool for teaching about free market economics or for, okay. Yeah. Know, it's like, I have a, I have my mission. I'm going to, I'm going to go with my agenda item mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to be, um, I'm I'm going to be moral forward, meaning I'm going to have the moral of the story be the, yeah, the beating heart of the whole thing, and that's unfortunate. Uh, it's totally fine to have some instructional story and to know that it's completely inferior. Gotcha. Like it just this is completely inferior art. I'm going to do this so that you understand that this is when we put out our trash cans, right? And so I <laughs> like <laughs> this is this is what we're doing. Um, I get, I get that. And so if somebody wants to try to use story, uh, to reinforce gender, I would say you're, you're going to be far more effective handing kids books with very well gendered characters. In other words, classic stories. You don't need okay, the yeah. Mr. Rogers song. Uh, girls are fancy on the inside. Boys are fancy on the outside. Um, <laughs> I think I missed that one. <laughs> yeah. You don't need that Mr. Rogers song. Um, you need Aragorn and Eowyn. You need okay. um, Jill and Eustace and Diggory. And, you know, it's like you need all these Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy are going to, are going to give you way more. If you, if you are actually consuming stories that are rightly built on the nat on the foundation of the bedrock of reality, mm -hmm. the way God made the world, then you don't even need to. Like it just, it's just, yeah. Okay. It's it's unnecessary. So almost the bar is too low for a lot of these books, I guess. Yeah. Because they're saying, you know, hey, God made two genders or two sexes, boys and girls. And congrats. And, um, it's way yeah. more interesting and reinforcing to give the boys uh heroic examples to emulate and to give the girls heroic examples to emulate mm -hmm. and to and to actually fully explore biblical masculinity and femininity. Because it's the real world. Yeah. And as you do that, as you explore that in reality, uh, it, you know, it cuts with the grain and the kids find their heroes and imitate. Uh, you know, if, if somebody is in a community or a culture where they're going to be susceptible to the trans movement right now at a young age, um, a storybook, a really like childish storybook is not going to do a damn thing mm. it just isn't it's i mean yeah you're, you're throwing an ice cube to somebody getting sucked into a volcano at that point you know it's like it's there's already enough gravitational pull that they are confused and messed up at a young enough age that a little picture book is gonna help um, yeah then it's you're it's done it's over sorry and that um, gets back to the many things that we've talked about yeah. about, about proof and the nature of proof. Yep. You're assuming that what the kid is missing is information. Information. Information will fix it. It's like, no, that's not how we are obligated to believe. It's mm -hmm. not how ethos, pathos, and logos work together. Um, the first time I heard the Lord of the Rings, I was two years old in a high chair. Mm. And, you know, and my parents had discussions over whether or not I tracked any of it. Um, Do you remember it? I, I do not remember a time in my life when I did not know the stories and the characters. Then that's because it, I don't know how many times I've been through the Lord of the Rings. It's, it's 
Yeah. Probably beyond counting at this at this point. I've read so many I've gone back to so many different sections and just read portions. Um for a while in my life, it was the only book, the, the only series I would read. I would just lapse through it. Um <laughs> until my mom branched me out uh at the age of twelve. But when I was two and the discussion was whether or not I was tracking, like mm-hmm. my mom wasn't sure I was, and my dad pointed out that I would turn bright red and drip sweat during the battle scenes. Like I would just <laughs> I was like in the battle scenes, I was I was all the way uh listening and and stressed out. So it was either jalapenos or Yeah, yeah. It was some little <laughs> little habanero action. Um but yeah, it's uh really good stories from a really early age read to you and and stories that are beyond you full of heroes you want to emulate and you know just stories written on the architecture of reality yeah this is one of those things that you don't need to convince people of okay um, you don't you don't think people need convincing of the difference between boy and girl mm. okay meaning it's not the information it's obvious this this is one of those moments and i think christians do this a lot where uh we are i think i've mentioned this even on the podcast we are uh, like people whose last name is disney and we inherited disneyland and we own it Mm -hmm. and then some people around us start trying to say things like this isn't disneyland and we get stressed out and want to convince them and produce picture books to convince them that it is Disneyland. Like, doesn't matter. Like, why does it matter that I convince them? Um, mm. If you are doing this evangelistically, if you're trying to reach the propagandized, the people being sucked into the vortex, go to the source. Like, find the source of the problem. Don't don't try to fix it when don't don't think you can fix it when that kid has landed on their face in the gravel at the bottom of the slide. You need to try to get away, get rid of the top of the slide, and mm. you need to try to get rid of the entire slide, yeah. uh, which is a completely different fight in a completely different place. So, okay, you know, if we live in a world that is made by our father, and we do, and he made it a certain way, and he did, and things just catastrophically fail when you go against those, when go against his architecture which they do Mm. uh, then as people try to build this new gender thing it's just going to catastrophically fail very very quickly um you know it's it's just gonna go away um and those individuals who are already at the bottom of the slide um, are kind of beyond help from a story like gotcha you know if you if you build a whole world of stories that is are deeply gendered you Mm -hmm. know like these are gendered stories because the world is gendered yeah. and those stories are effective and compelling and people love them and love the characters and want to be them then uh you're already fixing it gotcha uh speaking of the slide is is that education <laughs> i mean is it the public school system is this our education episode? It's, it's honestly it's everything it's okay. all the things i mean in 2006 um, I received a note in the margins of a manuscript of 100 cupboards when uh, Frank and Dottie are taking the kids off to a barbecue. And it's, it's kind of this uh, adventure interruptist moment where it's all the stress is building and Frank's attacking a bedroom door with a chainsaw, but the bedroom door is resisting even a chainsaw. And 
everything's chaotic and the Dottie's like we gotta go it's barbecue like it's time to go mm-hmm. and right when they're about to get this head of steam they're trying to break into the sealed room and they got to go off to a barbecue um which i love doing i love that that stress and break of it's it's the real life there's all sorts of times yeah, when you're like when he learns you're in his zone you start to learn to throw baseball he starts to, yeah baseball yeah, but you're in your zone of obsession and mom's like hey we gotta go we're late and it's like but i've got this thing i'm working on mom right no oh i guess we're going to a barbecue <laughs> um like this is uh this is the way it goes um but i had a marge I, in the margins of my manuscript i received back from new york uh notes saying that this is overly gendered and we need to de-gender the barbecue okay because 2006 because wives showed up with the food because and the dad the guys were described as standing around the barbecue and talking and uh some women threw some tablecloths on some picnic tables and implying that they were you know setting the feast uh, and and so i i just wrote my favorite word in the margin which is stet <laughs> let it stand let it stand is what the latin, latin means and it became a, a good friend of mine through all the editorial processes i went through but that came back and forth i mean that was a note that came back and forth was we need we need to reduce the gender roles of uh the scene my response was have you ever been to a barbecue in kansas yeah absolutely or in idaho i can't think of that's yeah, like an act that is but what i started with does. kansas <laughs> Because that's where this is. <laughs> Have you ever been to a barbecue in Kansas? Uh, now let's move on. Have you ever been to a barbecue anywhere there's people? <laughs> I mean, this is yeah. Uh, this is how things work. And so the description just broke along, you know, the the architecture of, the, of realism. So I was pleading realism, but they don't care. They want to they want to fight the real. Yeah. Um, and they're doomed. It's not going to work. Yeah. Gotcha. It, it won't work. So I'm not really interested in trying to get into any culture wars at all with fiction okay but that's yeah that's very important to point out that the barbecue scene wasn't intended by you no. to help no. teach what you know henry needed a lesson and well i mean no, he did it's, need a it's, lesson it's, in what it's a beat dads. in henry's journey as a character and the scene is described with realism around what men and women do at barbecues and mm. um it was not like oh, i need to find a way to you know, to reinforce gender roles like that would have just been dumb yeah um it is it's realism now i do think film can have a little more fun um in poking eyeballs and sacred cows and and getting into the fight uh in okay, different, in different ways yeah but in different ways um are you thinking of stuff like the asteroid movie or what 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 are you kind of thinking of there oh i think don't look up yeah has a is great in all the all the little cows at tips you know it really does go mm. cow tipping um i'm I'm thinking of like juno don't look up uh children of men um some really great you know some really okay, great so things there's... where you can you can get into because you're you're getting into the moment you can get into the tangle of reality in which people are arguing different things and so different positions and and tyranny if you're watching enemy enemy of the state it's about a guy like this movie's about a guy enemy of the state is mm-hmm. and then you move from uh i think it's tony scott so same guy who made uh top gun and but oh okay um so tony scott 
I'll have to double check that, but pretty sure Tony Scott made an enemy of the state and you watch it and you're, you're following Will Smith's character. You're, you're rolling with Will Smith's character against intrusive, tyrannical, murderous, big government. Mm-hmm. And, but it's the story of Will Smith caught in this, you know, this horrible thing he gets swept up in. It is not somebody saying, Hey, I've got a point I want to make politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point can be made. Like it can be made because it's part of the real. Like it's, it's part of, you know, what actually is driving the situation and, and even the, the tension. If it wasn't real tension, if it wasn't real tyranny, if it wasn't something that could actually happen, then it wouldn't be scary. It wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't be compelling. So it can feel like these movies are doing something politically, um, but they, and they do, but they always do it by means of a real and vicariously immersive narrative, not by being message driven. Do you think that, do you, why do you think that's unique to movies? Doesn't it seem like novels do that just as well? Or you just think people tend to fail? I'm thinking of like, obviously 1984. Or, I think or, a, a huge amount of it, this is, this could seem terrible, but this is, um, so I reserve the right to, to retract this later, but my, <laughs> my, my belief is the uh, film cannot help but truncate the complexities of character. Okay. And so in novels, you have enough time to really explore and, and you have omniscient access to the mind of every character that you don't have on film. You just have right. You know, film just going through the the skin. Um, you have the time in a novel to really thoroughly explore every character, which means your character work has to be far more complicated. Okay. There's a there's a complexity to the character. And if you're being honest about the nature of characters in God's stories, that means there's internal conflict and contradiction and incoherence in every character. Like there's, there's contradictions in yeah. all of them, where in a film you can have a guy who's struggling with an issue with a contradiction, but you can't thoroughly explore everything. And so I think because of that, you can have characters who can be really compelling, but they're also more superficially explored you don't have the time to okay so it almost allows you to touch on these big themes without being overly propaganda the, the character the character brushstroke basically because the character brushstroke in film is broader it's a broader tipped brushstroke and there's less time mm-hmm. you got to get it all done uh you can play out uh, a, a narrative in which you land in children of men uh so in, in children of men the film Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler alert, everybody, nobody's having babies. Um, <laughs> our main character, Theo, whom we are following, has a ex who is terribly performed by Julianne Moore. She's the weakest spot of the film, but still he's got an ex. And then <clears throat> I'm coughing the mic. <coughs> Excuse me. Coffee drink too. She's kind of psycho. Uh, she's part of this terrorist group. And a pregnant girl finds Theo, mm-hmm. like through circumstances in this world in which nobody can have babies. Yeah. This pregnant girl finds Theo and wants him to help her get to this uh, safe place and escape the tyrants who are all going to try to take her and keep her baby because there are no babies. Yeah. They want to figure out how to make, <clears throat> make babies. Yeah. So P.D. James wrote the novel and it's a what if. What if God just gave modern man the barrenness they've been seeking? Mm-hmm. 
as a curse, like just said, okay, thy will be done. And yeah, which is a very informational type yeah. premise. Yeah. Right? Sat- so, it's almost satire level. Of- yep. And so she postulates that, that what if. But then she tries to explore the real. Like what would happen to humans psychologically? What would happen to relationships? What would happen to mothers and, and so on? And so women are inviting all their friends over for baby showers for their kittens. They're pushing animals and strollers and dressing up. You know, it's everybody's gone mad mm-hmm. because there's no children. There's no hope. There's no future. And there's no place to put your love and affection and, and, and protection. And she explores it really thoroughly. Uh, it's not a great novel in terms of structure or arrival or where it lands. It's more an exploration of a concept. And that exploration is all very uh, character driven, diving into their psychology and, and neuroses and all the things that develop uh, from the situation where the film adaptation actually has this three arc, three act arc and this quest and this journey to, to get this pregnant woman somewhere safe. Uh, and a pregnant woman and her baby eventually. Um, in the film, Theo has baggage, and we see Clive Owen play a very, very compelling, tortured character, mm-hmm. apathetic, wondering what it's all about. Like there's a futility, but nowhere near the complexity and the pain and the agony and the contradiction of what happens in the novel. Gotcha. And if you try to take that level of complexity and pain that happens in the novel and put it on screen in the film, it's the it's all it would be about. You wouldn't have an adventure. You wouldn't have a quest. It would just be, man, this dude's tortured. Because <laughs> not only are there no kids anymore, this is a guy who backed over his own child in the driveway. Mm. Uh, one of the last children ever born, and he killed his own kid uh, when his kid was a toddler. And so he's carrying, in a world of no more children, he's a killer of a child. He's a child killer. Mm-hmm. And so the novel is far more grueling um, in terms of uh, his psychology and his pain and all of yeah. his internal guilt than the film can possibly be. Yeah. And I think that's as it should be because the film is drama. It's a descendant of stage play and it's storytelling, but it's not the same thing as the completely vicarious experience you can give people via fiction over weeks right like weeks long months long um and because the the novel can access all five senses of the reader okay uh, a good a good author is able to describe and affect a, a reader in a way that imprints in their imagination permanent memory of smell touch yeah. You know, all all the things that you can access there that you cannot access in film. Okay, so we could restate maybe simplistic message fits the simplistic medium. Simplistic's probably a little bit pejorative, but yeah. simple message fits a simple medium in a way that a simple message taken into a novel is going- broad broad brush strokes. Yeah. A simple if you try to have a novel have a simple message, you are fundamentally lying about your characters because they're always far more complicated than that. Gotcha. So human beings are far more complicated. And when you have the time to explore them, like you do in a novel, you don't have a hero who's just representing something. Yeah. Uh, You know, he's just representing this, this message of good and this hero's, you know, this villain's representing the message of bad or whatever. They fight and the good guy wins. It's always more complicated than that. So if you take the hero, say of 1984, 
there is some complication or some tension between him liking having someone controlling his life, his inability to be interesting on his own, combined with the overweening power of the state. Right. As compared to Will Smith, enemy of the state. Yep. It's much more simpler of just like run, run and survive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Run, and, run and survive. The state okay. is bad. Gotcha. Um, and, and if you put that in a novel, you would have <laughs> you would have to do so much more with Will Smith's character. Yeah. To okay. All yep. Right. And now I'm not talking about a lake house novel, but even in a lake house novel, you'd have to do more. Yeah. You know, it's like even in that kind of pop summer read, there there would need to be more complexity there. Yeah. Um. And so I would I would put it this way. Uh, I can try to get my my finger on this really really cleanly. Um, in a in a film, you are looking at someone. You just you're looking at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do not have to sympathize with every character, right? I mean, like every yeah. every. Yeah. I don't need yeah. I don't need that. Sometimes we just watch people because they're interesting. Yeah, now the actor needs to understand and sympathize with that character. Yeah. But the viewer does not. When you actually read a novel that's effectively written and, you know, a, a really good one, the reader is the actor of every character mm-hmm. and has to sympathize with every character in order to understand their motivation and the action that comes. So they, they don't have to um, like that character. Right. They don't have to emulate or respect or honor that character, but they have to sympathize in that they have to understand the motivation. Gollum. And it has to, yeah, Gollum. Gollum, exactly. A good example yeah, of that. Yeah, you have to understand the motivation and you have to see that it is narratively coherent in that, that person's character. You see which things in their heart they're giving into, which things they're not cultivating, which yeah. like where the flaws are and everything else. And you understand like, oh man, like, now, uh, what we do in film is like, oh, let's quickly victimize somebody to land sympathy. Let's save the cat really quickly at the at the beginning to to establish rooting for a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We do this quickly. Let's go to a villain. Do I need to understand uh, this Russian mobster? Like, do I really need to get it? Like, on a superficial level, yeah, he wants money. He likes money. He likes power. It doesn't have to get really deep deeper than that. Now, okay. a really great film will go a little bit deeper. Mm. We'll show you some complexity, some backstory, some interesting brokenness. We'll make you sympathize with somebody unexpectedly, even while your hero puts them down and needs to. Like really great storytellers and filmmakers can do that kind of thing um, and do it well. But even there, they have to use a broader brush. A quicker, a, a, mediocre, quicker a mediocre novel has to do yeah, that. Yeah. A mediocre novel has to go uh, yeah. deeper into sympathy for characters than... Uh, than a, a film does and i think it's because the reader is and the reader's imagination is ultimately the performer of every role as you read okay and so we need heath ledger to fully understand the joker but you know and sympathize with that but the viewers don't have to mm-hmm. you know they they get to look at it and my great my grandfather my mom's dad used to always ask me when when we were staying up there was like hey you want to look at a movie and <laughs> And I always found that so remarkably demeaning. <laughs> I was like, why is a wa- watching a movie feels more respectful than looking at it? I don't know why. But uh, you want to look at a movie? Yeah. And, and then he was also taught me some great wisdom early on when I was stressed out watching uh, The High Road to China or something like that at his house. Um, and he would always be the one who would say, don't worry, the cameraman will save him. 
<laughs> the camera. Uh, That's awesome. it's, Just break the fourth yeah, wall. Yeah, just, 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 just break it. Like, just realize that somebody's holding the microphone and somebody's holding the light and somebody's holding the camera. And that really stuck with me forever. Like, the ability to see a film without the, the magic on, like be able to pull off and deconstruct it and see what was happening in order to make the scene. Some might say it ruined it for you. Oh, it was, it was wonderful. <laughs> it, I, yeah, it may have, but it definitely helped set me on this path. Yeah. Um, I will. So anyway, that's kind of the long, long, long answer um, to why I wouldn't write a picture book <laughs> about trying gender. to teach gender. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't do it, but I, I think that you could, you could make a movie about a confused teenager in Toronto mm-hmm. and it could be a great movie as long as it was authentically about that confused teenager in Toronto and the gender issues and the things that were happening around that guy or girl uh, were real. Like that they're, they're real and uh, it's all real and you're not trying to just preach a message or distill something in advance for the viewer. You're hoping to give the viewer a sympathetic journey through that character, like mm-hmm. understanding this, this trap and these pitfalls and, yeah, yeah. and so on. You can do that. You can follow a real character did, that way. Did, was Julianne Moore bad because of she failed on that level or she just did a bad job? Like how would you fix the, Julianne Moore? the redheaded terrorist yeah. uh, from Children of Men? I would change her diction, uh, her delivery, her diction. She's trying to be heartless. And she doesn't come off as heartless. Uh, just she's kind of faking. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just sort of Clive Owen managed to have some very real, very compelling scenes in that film. And she did not. Even though she had the ultimate, we feel sorry for you. Yeah, but <laughs> she's, right? she's executed. <laughs> she's, yeah. I mean, there are some of my favorite scenes of, in all of filmmaking history are in that film. Uh, they're just some really, really good ones. Which uh, I, I'm thinking of. I mean, uh, sorry. I, what's the guy's name? His friend, the weed smoking friend. Um, oh, Albert from Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Michael Caine. Yeah, Michael Caine. Yeah. You know, just a very famous actor. I forgot. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> you know that there's a few moments in there that are those are. It felt so creative in that movie, or when he's eating with that that one guy in the room alone with his kid. Oh, uh, yeah. the, there's just a few. Yep. I mean, which ones are the ones that are sticking out to you? Uh, when they're trying to escape, uh, they're trying to escape this little compound in the, in the English countryside. And so they're trying to steal a car that won't start. And they're having to, their escape vehicle, they're having to push. Oh yeah. Push start. The- yeah. When they're trying to push start the car, and people realize that he's absconding with the pregnant woman, but he's doing so while pushing a really crappy little car, <laughs> trying to get it to to start, and has to like I mean that I can't imagine it anything more awful than that. It's really pretty great. So yeah, it's there's like a dream. Yeah, C.S. Lewis talks about the different types of fear. It is very much a bad dream, but it's the different mm-hmm. types of fear. Uh, if your fear of being buried alive, or you know, fear of being eaten by a shark those are they have different flavors those fears have different flavors um and it's rare that you find a new one a new kind of stress or a fear (laughs) and so little kids have a fear of being chased upstairs we can all understand that like being chased upstairs with somebody grabbing at your ankles (laughs) yeah like 
if you're running and, and hot footing it and somebody's grabbing at your feet yeah behind you and you're uh, like it's like <laughs> we all understand that like okay this is similar to that where mm-hmm. the fear of trying to escape terrorists who are going to murder you quietly <laughs> and realizing the car won't start and so you you're pushing it and part of it is like engine like he's got the, he's got this whole theory of like why they're doing this but they're they're pushing the car manually. Their getaway car is being pushed manually. They have to get it up to enough speed that they can pop the clutch and go. And while dogs and yeah. you know hotheads, murderers are sprinting after them. Um, yeah. And the, that whole sequence and where it leads is fantastic. That whole that whole drive and and the result of the ambush and and the fact that they did that. Not only did they have the stress of that car pushing narratively which was fantastic they also did it in the one shot which adds to the stress so they did that that actual chase and the stress of it they won't break there's no cut and mm. and a lot of people do the no cut thing just to show off um but this was this cute. is like the no cut thing massively emphasizes the experience of the scene mm. um and so i i really like that one that yeah. one that one stands out a ton the other famous no cut and children of men is also magnificent a live battle the a live battle going on even yeah. apart from the no cut that stops because a baby is crying because you're in a world where there's no babies. And so a baby crying brings all these men with machine guns to a complete stop to a complete ceasefire Yeah, is just incredibly powerful and really powerfully done. It did, so, yeah. And I mean, it did that early quiet or quiet place did the same thing where she's trying to give birth quietly. Yeah. Exactly. Another, another. So, if a different kind of fear is trying to give birth in silence in a bathtub while a monster that only can hear you is sneaking through your house. (laughs) Like, okay, that's a stack of what ifs. That's really, (laughs) that's really quite impressive. Yeah. Uh, And I really enjoy Quiet Place One as well because it just it does so many, um, and and interesting and cool things like that. Yeah. Well, I was going to get into actually then what should nonfiction do, but we're going to save that for another time, I think. Um, non- like fiction, nonfiction should tell the truth. Oh, there they're the go. same. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> we can skip next week. Yeah, there we go. Uh, we can skip episode 95. Yeah. We're in 94 now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the further exploration of why I hate little lesson mm-hmm. stories. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's that kind of sums it up. And it's also important to say this is not because there should be no little lesson books. It's just those little lesson books are frequently not the solution. They're not the way to teach. Yeah. I mean, you said you function. We didn't dig too deep into this, but the problem is the American culture or, yeah. you know, that's yeah. that's where we are, where the milieu we're in. Milieu, yep. milieu. The milieu, <laughs> as the Spanish say. Yeah. <laughs> the milieu. Uh, yeah, the I'm gonna goo, get so the many. Goo. We know it's French. Please yes. don't. Please don't let me know. <laughs> In the words of a great Portuguese, <laughs> Portuguesees. Um, um, yeah, yeah. It's the goo in which we all exist is is the issue, and trying to address it with the Flintstones vitamins of morality picture books is the wrong approach. Yeah. So, and it's not to say never give a kid a Flintstones vitamin because sometimes they're short. I mean, sometimes. The situation is such that they are malnourished and you do need to get them their vitamin C or whatever it is. By all means, give them that little Flintstones vitamin. But stop trying to make food into medicine. Yeah, it starts with parents, churches, Yeah, just stop it. Like give people meals, give people food. And it's it's ironic that conservatives are the ones who do this 
but it's just a testimony to the fact that we're morons. Mm, um, savage. <laughs> so I mean, we are. <laughs> we are the ones who take a feast. We're the ones who take all the stuff and try to distill it down to nutritional goo. And so like in the matrix, when you're, you're sitting on the, the plane and it's like, Oh, you know, the, the spaceship they have underground. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we can pump this goo. It can taste this way or this goo it can taste that way. It's all just this goo, but don't worry. It has all the nutrients in it. We are the ones who try to distill down to the correct nutrients and then give people a paste to eat, but it has all the correct nutrients in it. It's and like, we think that means we aren't supposed to be disappointed. Yeah, it's like yeah. there, all the nutrients are here. This is great, it's super effective, right? It's like, no, this is depression. This this is why your culture is anemic. Um, because all the nutrients are here, but there's no soul. There's no image of God here. There's no yeah. there's no treating man as man and woman as woman and as in flesh narratival creatures who need narratival food. You've distilled it down to the informational nutrients and lost all the soul. Also, completely. I mean, in the Matrix, that's the given reason for why they get betrayed. That guy yeah, is so, bad food. so tired of it. Yeah, he just needs a steak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, which I, which I get. Um, and the thing, that's, the thing that's interesting is that conservatives are the ones doing this. We are the ones trying to simmer truth down until it's gross. It's just hmm. disgusting. And then we try to serve it to people. It's like, just don't. Just stop yeah. it. Set the feast. Like put out all the food, like make it amazing, make it glorious, make it yeah. something that compels everyone to want to be there. And if you want to be there, uh, if you want to be eating this food because it smells good and it's wonderful and it's filling and it's yeah. inspirational and all these things, like there's so much more to that than informational nutrients. Yeah. Or, or that Dickens scene, what is a horse, a graminivorous quadruped or whatever. And yeah. then the girl who's seen a horse knows what one is and the kid who yeah. never has can define it. Or Lewis, I think same thing, cut the organ out and demand the function. You yep. know, we say, Hey, here's a heart. Don't yep. you feel it? Yep. And Don't you feel it? And then he, he also talks about moderns. Um, well, he talks about the importance of turning where this is of learning something and getting to know something on the wing, a bird, basically oh. a bird in flight, as opposed to a bird being dissected, mm. like studying a bird in motion alive. Yeah, you know, in space time is the way to know that bird as opposed to cutting it into pieces, and the modern man just wants to cut it into pieces. Yeah, I think it might have been that hideous strength. Um, I don't remember where it is. At least he, the theme is in that hideous strength, definitely, where he's talking about vivisectionists, people who love slicing mm -hmm. uh, animals up into very thin, <laughs> thin, yeah. thin little sheets that can be looked at under microscopes. Um, that's it's all there. Uh, yeah. So yeah. we try conservatives do this over and over and over again. We just can we simmer it down to the informational goo and then serve it to people, and that is just a blasphemous view of man as a, as a hard drive. Man is a hard drive as opposed to an image bearer incarnate. Like we are incarnate words. We yeah. are all words made flesh, and we're not meant to be distilled down into you know little thumb drives. So we rather than focusing on a family meal where the husband loves the wife and the wife respects the husband, that feels a certain way. Yeah. We want to say page 1 God created the a man this way and a woman this way and they're supposed to love each other and respect each other and yep. they want the kid to feel. Yep. Okay, let's stories yep. stories the way. Here's the informational that. nutrient. Yeah. Uh here's your glass of water to wash it down. Yeah. Um and it's just it's just a mess. Uh, my and incidentally, my son uh, is discovering not just my son, my older kids are all discovering how strange their upbringing was 
<laughs> you know, to well, which parts, Nate? Because we knew about some. <laughs> all the parts. Like I think anybody who listens to this um, podcast knows that I did not hide my kids from media. Right. right. Yeah. Um, but my kids are discovering. They're like, "Wow, we had so grateful. We had so little screen time." Mm. Like look at like all their 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 peers and people they're working with. It's like, wow, we had remarkably little screen time. We we know how to go outside. We weren't playing video games all the time. We weren't just consuming uh, massive quantities of of shows via radically individualized streaming uh, platforms. Yeah, targeted to you. Yeah, that's another thing. When you compare- our media was eaten communally, like a meal. Yeah, we yep. consumed our media together. Like like a meal, right. we ate together. Like for them to discover that, wow, it's weird for families to eat together so frequently. It's weird that your mom would be making things from scratch every day. It's weird that you'd live, you'd know your grandparents and your great grandparents, and that your cousins would be doing the same thing that you're doing, and that mm-hmm. like and that all this momentum that we all eat together, family a family dinner every Saturday night. It's like that we're all doing all these things. Um, and then you add that just to the weirdness of Idaho in general and to <laughs> living surrounded by acreage and three dogs and gorgeous skies and landscapes. And yeah. It's a very charmed, idyllic thing. And they're kind of all realizing like, oh, wow, we did grow up in the Shire, didn't we? Mm. Um, this is a little bit Rivendell, maybe, you know, where there's there's fighting going on and people leave here and they go fight and they come back. But Pullman is Mordor. Yeah, but it's this last, <laughs> it's this last homely house. Um, and so discovering the the strangeness, the surrealness of what they had, uh, and that they weren't just passing the time with screens, they had all these family relationships and community and and so on. Um, yeah, makes them weird. I think it's easier for them to relate to old people as a result. Oh yeah. But yeah. that's a that's a tangent. <laughs> that, is, that is a tangent. It's like they they meet their peers and they're like, "Who are you? What strange race?" Yeah. What strange race do you come from? They're just not yeah. of their generation. Then a lot of parents are saying, hey, you can watch whatever you want on this, basically, yeah. for 12 hours a day. But for three minutes of the day, I'll read you this book. You know? <laughs> yeah. And they're saying, well, the, no wonder they went with the 12 hours. Yeah, right. Yeah. As I did, too, obviously. Yeah. Just everybody's stream, glut. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this has been all about why not to distill stories down to informational nutrients, which has been a theme i would say mm-hmm. uh also that's that's don't deconstruct things uh down but but the thing that happens so often is they attempt to reconstruct a meal from those nutrients like oh i have these distilled nutrients and now i'm going to try to reconstitute them oh, up yeah. into a narrative meal uh, and we it goes the, both directions the dehydrated food yeah. approach Yep, and it goes it goes both directions. Where here's mm. here's rich beauty, here's truth from scripture, from natural revelation, from the way God made the world. Now I'm going to boil it down into a goo, and make you eat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this informational goo with no soul and no and no incarnation anymore. But the flip side happens even more in uh, you know in faith fiction and faith film. Like I'm going to start with this nutrient. Oh, I have. And then add water and try to yeah, yeah. and then try to reconstitute mm-hmm. you know from this dehydrated thing don't do either of those grass-fed beef for your children only (laughs) i like it that's the that's the takeaway for today people rare yeah (laughs) rare (laughs) yeah yeah
Okay, yeah, that's it. That's that's episode ninety-four. We're done. In which I fuss. Yeah. In which he fusses. Hey, it's Brian Cole, your favorite co-host of the Stories or Soul Food podcast, and you won't be able to see what I'm holding in my hands here, but it is an advanced copy of Sir Battleot and the Cranky Danky Dragon, written by Rachel Jankovic and illustrated by Forrest Dickinson, and published by Cannonball Books. Both of them have been on the Stories or Soul Food podcast, so I feel like our podcast can take credit for this book, right? Uh, you won't be able to see the beautiful illustrations reminiscent of Miyazaki and Bill Pete but I can read you a couple snippets that'll help you understand why Sir Battleot should be a feature of your uh, home. In the land of somewhere normal was a town called Boring Plain and a tiny magic kingdom no one knew by any name. But it wasn't always quiet there, not like you might have thought, because the boy who built the walls was called Sir Battleot. You'll notice I skipped a page, but that's because I wanted to get to Sir Battleot. There's also a dragon who drinks a bitter brew uh, brood of uh, boys whining, and that's pretty awesome. I also ruined the line of poetry there. So just imagine it being so much better. Here, I'll flip the pages and crinkle the hardback so you can hear it. You hear that? Oh, crinkle, crinkle of the brand new hardback. Uh, anyways, it's available for pre-order at canonpress.com. Comes signed and comes with a print from Forrest Dickinson also signed. So go check it out now for Christmas and the rest of your life. It's past my kid's test, and I know that next time we have a whining incident. I'll have to bring up the cranky, danky dragon with his heart of hard to please. Until next time. 